0: With Doctor Frank Turick,
1: I got an email recently uh, from a young lady that attended one of our events at East Tennessee State University a couple of months ago, and her email raised several questions and uh, made several interesting statements that I want to go through it today because it's well worth discussing the points she brought up and the objections that have been brought up against the Christian faith by friends of hers. And she was asking, how should we respond or how should she respond to these objections? I'm not going to tell you this lady's name. I've, I've asked her if I could, and she said, Yeah, hey, I can if I want to. Uh, but I'm just going to leave her anonymous. Uh, but she wrote a a very interesting email, and she has some very good insights. And this is going to be worth listening to and interacting on. Here's what she said. Uh, She said, uh, hello, Dr. Turk. I was at East Tennessee State University when you taught recently. I really enjoyed your lecture and it helped my faith quite a bit. I know you travel all over and write books and have a life, so I'm sure you are a busy person, but I hope you might take a moment to entertain a question here in your email. It's one that I would have uh, or it's one that I have that I have because I posted a comment about grace on my Facebook When I did that, a friend of mine posted a response. Here it is. Now, this has happened to you, friends, hasn't it? Of course, you you say something on Facebook and uh, suddenly somebody responds, something, you know, you make a point, a a point about Christianity or a point about what you believe, and and they respond. Here's what this lady, friend of hers, responded. Uh, She said, grace in one person's eyes is heresy in another. I don't remember the exact quote, but there was this... Salty old sea dog on Game of Thrones. All right, let me stop right there. <laughs> I, I I've heard of Game of Thrones. I've never seen any of it, uh, but already this woman appears to be taking her cues about religion from a TV show. Anyway, here's what she says: I remember this salty old sea dog on Game of Thrones, and he said that he'd been to every corner of the map, and all lands that he'd ever encountered worshipped a different most high god quote unquote most high god i don't think you are a christian because that's the only path to salvation you are a christian because you were born in a predominantly christian country that's not grace that's geography if you were born in iran you'd be extolling allah right now in my very humble opinion there is only one god and he she they don't have a recognizable name the true name of god is love and the only true religion is kindness with apologies laugh out loud you know i love you girl and that was it okay now there's several points or assertions that this young woman on facebook is trying to make to the lady who wrote me the letter and so if somebody ever said that to you on facebook how would you respond? Or if someone said it to you in person, how would you respond? Well, those you've been listening to this program or those who have been listening to Greg Kokel on his program, Stand to Reason, you know, Greg in his book, Tactics, suggests that you ought to ask some questions. And uh, the questions, the three key questions, as you know, are when someone says something, it's not your job to refute what they say. It's that person's job to support what they say. So the three questions that Greg suggests, and I think these are good questions, when somebody says something, you say, what do you mean by that? The second question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Or what evidence do you have for that position? And the third question is really a nice way of you being able to provide counter evidence to the person's point. So the third question goes something like this. Have you ever considered, and then you fill in the blank, whatever, whatever, whatever what, whatever the piece of evidence you want to provide back that refutes what the person has asserted. So let's use these questions in in responding to what this woman had said on Facebook. The first question, what do you mean by that? Remember the lady said, grace is in one person's eyes. Ha- uh, grace is one person's eyes. Uh, uh, sorry. Sorry can't even read today. Grace in one person's eyes is heresy in another. Now you might ask, well, what do you mean by grace? And what do you mean by heresy? Right? It just to start a conversation, you're making a a statement. Uh, What do you mean by grace? What do you mean by heresy? And then when the person says, uh, when the person responds, you can see where the conversation goes, but you want to ask questions because You can uncover assumptions when someone makes an assumption or someone makes an assertion. I should say you can uncover the assumptions underneath the assertion by asking questions. And Jesus did this all the time. In fact, Jesus most of the time answered a question with a question and we ought to do the same. It's easy to ask questions. It's hard to answer them. And sometimes people can refute their own assertion by you just simply asking them questions. To the point that they realize that they don't have any evidence for their own assertion. But you have to ask the question, what do you mean by grace? What do you mean by heresy? What do you mean by the fact that every place they worship a different most high God? How did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think that? Just see where the person's getting their information from. They may be right, but you're just, you're just asking the question. Since she is making the claim, she has to provide evidence for her assertions. Now, the other assertion she made in here uh, is the fact that she said, I don't think you're a Christian because that's the only path to salvation. You are a Christian because you were born in a predominantly Christian country. I mean, you hear this all the time that somehow we're just Christians because we happen to live in America. Well, you know, that might be true that some people are just Christians because they were brought up that way. There's no question about that. But how might you respond to somebody who said that? How would you respond? What would you say if someone said, well, you're just a Christian because you were brought up here? I might say, well, that might be the case, but that doesn't mean my position is false. Right? I mean, in fact, what did I write back to her? I I, I wrote back, um, well, actually, I wrote back to her because uh, she had said, and I don't want to confuse who we're talking about here, the lady who wrote me the email was asking me how to respond to another lady who responded to her on Facebook. And here's what the lady who was writing the email to me said about the the Facebook lady, the Facebook lady is saying that the only reason I am a Christian is that I was raised in a Christian country. Yet some arguments stand out already. And here's what she writes. Number one, she was raised in a Christian culture and yet she is now embracing a view of salvation beyond Christ. This means she, this means she is embracing a non-Christian viewpoint while being from a Christian country from her Iran statement, Iran statement, A person's country of birth determines a person's faith. Does her, reaching beyond what she was taught as a college, uh, gee, I can't even speak today. I'm so sorry. (laughs) She says, does her, it's hard hard to do radio when you can't speak, ladies and gentlemen. You can't even put two declarative sentences together. And I'm reading, no less. Come on. (laughs) She said, does her. Reaching beyond what she was taught as a child, disprove her argument. And I wrote, wrote back to her a good insight. She is a counterexample of her own theory. That's what she's saying. In fact, Richard Dawkins has said this. Well, you're just a Christian because you were brought up in a Christian country. Well, here's Richard Dawkins, ostensibly brought up in a Christian country who is an atheist. His own position disproves his claim. Now, to be fair, you could say that maybe she's saying that, or Richard Dawkins is saying that you're more likely to be a Christian in, say, the U.S. or the U.K. Uh, than in a Muslim country. Well, that might be true. And let's let's dive into that a little bit more and unpack that objection, because it doesn't have the force you think it has. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examined on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, CrossExamined.org. Cross-examined with a D on the end of it. We're back in two minutes.
0: Thank you for listening to the cross Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks.
1: Are you just a Christian because you were brought up in America? I mean, if you were brought up in Iran, you'd probably be a Muslim, wouldn't you? That's one of the objections or questions that has been brought up in a recent email I got from one lady. And uh, she was actually asking me how to respond to a friend of hers on Facebook. And so that's what we're doing here today. I'm reading excerpts of her email because it's a very insightful email and it goes into uh, several topics that are worth talking about. Uh. Now, when someone says that you're just a Christian because you were brought up in a Christian country, you might say, well, for many people, that's probably true. They just have sort of absorbed the background religion uh, of a majority of the nation. Culturally, you're a Christian and you, you just adopted the faith of your of your land. But that doesn't mean that that faith is true. In fact, I wrote back to the lady who was asking me this question. I said, you know, it may be true, but that doesn't change what's true. It may be true that many people are Christians in America because this is the majority religion of the nation. And it may be true that uh, most people in Iran are Muslims because that's the majority religion in that country. But that doesn't mean that either Christianity or Islam is true. A thousand years ago. We all may have been more likely to believe the earth was flat, but that doesn't mean the earth was really flat back then. You see the point? Just because your culture is encouraging you to believe a certain way doesn't mean your culture is correct. So it's really, if you think about this issue, like so many other issues or so many other objections you get to the Christian faith. This actually turns out to be a moral objection. What objection? The objection that says that you're just a Christian because you were brought up here in America. Why, is it a, why does it turn out to be a moral objection? It turns out to be a moral objection because quite frequently people are thinking that this is a problem because knowing the exclusiveness of Christianity, that, well, why would a, a God who is love? why would a God who is love just restrict salvation to people who are born in a certain area? That seems like a geographical bias. In fact, that's what this lady who wrote back on Facebook said that you're, this has nothing to do with grace. This just has to do with geography. Uh, And it's a moral objection because that seems like it's unfair. It's unfair of a loving God to restrict his salvation to where you were born. She's implying that it would be unfair of God to send people to hell, so to speak, just because they were born in the wrong place. So how do we respond to that? I've responded to this on several different occasions uh, on the college campus. Uh, So you can go to our YouTube page and see uh, some of the responses to this objection. But William Lane Craig does an excellent job of responding to this objection as well. In fact, I, what I did is I sent a link to a, a podcast that uh, Bill Craig did uh, on his Reasonable Faith uh, app, and it's also on his reasonablefaith.org website. That's a website you ought to avail yourself of. In addition to crossexamine.org, you ought to avail yourself of reasonablefaith.org. And uh, Bill did a, uh, Dr. Craig did a a podcast on what about those that have never heard? And, uh, Craig, uh, points out, let me get to the right place here, uh, in this podcast, because he's actually transcribed the pod, uh, podcast, uh, he says, um, what about those who've never heard about Christ? He says, if you take Romans 1 seriously, it seems to suggest that the mass of humanity apart from the gospel are damned that they're not going to heaven. Therefore, it seems to make a person's salvation or damnation dependent upon historical and ge- geographical accident. Some people are lucky enough to be born at a time and place in history when the gospel is preached and they hear it and are saved. Other unlucky folks do no fault of their own are born at times and places where the gospel has not yet arrived. So they're damned forever because they never hear about Christ and believe in him. And the difficulty is, I think, is that this seems incompatible with an all-loving God. This is Bill Craig talking, and it does, right? That's why it's a moral objection. This is me talking now, not Craig. It's a moral objection. Sometimes people say it's it's unfair or unjust. I don't think it's right. That people are, are basically damned because of a geological or a historical accident. So what do we say about that? Well, Craig goes through a, a long response here. I can't read all of it. Um, but he basically points out, if I can find the exact interaction here, uh, let's see, uh, here's what he says. What, what we need to understand is that if God were not to create, well, Kevin Harris, his sidekick says this, the skeptic will usually say, why in the world did God create a, a, a create a person knowing that, that the person would reject him? Why didn't God just create people who would love him? Or why did he just not create those he knew would go to hell? And here's what Craig says. And I think he's right about this. He says, what you need to understand is that God is, or or what you need to understand is that if God were not to create that person, then it is not as though everything else can go on Unchanged. What that means is that you have a whole new possible world on your hands, and it may be that in a world lacking that person, that others would then freely reject God and be lost and not saved. Indeed, as we've already seen, it may be the case that in any world feasible for God, some people would freely reject him and be lost. Okay, unquote, let me go back. This is me now talking. Do you know that if you weren't in the world, or let's just use Richard Dawkins, as we know he's, he's, he's not a believer, he's an atheist. If Richard Dawkins did not exist in this world, this would be a different world. And it might be that fewer people would be Christians because Richard Dawkins didn't exist. I mean, if there's no way of proving this, I'm just saying it's hypothetically true. Why? Because everybody affects so many other aspects of reality. This is called the ripple effect. And taking one person out of this world means we have a completely different world. And is it possible that God could create logically possible that God could create a world where everybody believes? Yes. It's logically possible that God could create a world where everybody believes, but at night might not be actually achievable with free creatures because free creatures have to be free not to believe. And it might be that God could create a world with three people and everybody believes for the whole time. But once you get to that fourth person, that's it. That guy's not going to believe he's not going to trust in Christ. He's going to want to go his own way. He's going to want to rebel. If God is truly giving us free will, then he can't force that guy to believe, but he can still get his will done through that unbeliever because that what that unbeliever does can ripple into the rest of creation to affect how other people believe or don't believe or can affect events here on the earth and even into the future and even into eternity. We can't trace how that ripple effect affects all those other aspects of reality, but God can, and God therefore can still get his will done. And the people who don't believe are not believing based on their own free choice. So it's not unjust for God to, separate himself from them in the afterlife. Why? They don't want God anyway. People always ask, "Why?" you know, will God send me to hell because I don't believe in Jesus? My answer is always the same. God is too loving to force you into heaven against your will. I mean, if you don't want God now, you're not going to want him in eternity. So if there is a God and there is, and there is an afterlife and there is, there's only two possible destinations. You're either going to be with God in the afterlife. That's heaven. or You're going to be separated from God in the afterlife. That's hell. And who gets to decide that? Well, in the long term, or ultimately, God does in the sense that when he creates the universe, when he elects to create the universe, he knows how it's going to turn out. So in effect, he's elected the outcome. But we're still freely believing when we do believe and not trusting in Christ when we don't. So it's still just God is under no obligation to not create because some people won't freely love God. That would allow people to veto God. So, Craig goes on to say, this is back to William Lane Craig now. I'm reading from his uh, ReSimpleFaith.org podcast called What About Those That Have Never Heard? So you can look it up if you want the entire podcast. He said, and moreover, God has so ordered the world that those who never hear the gospel are lost, and only people who would have not believed in the gospel and been saved, even if they had heard it. In other words, anyone who would have believed the gospel and been saved if he had heard it is born at a time and place in history where he does hear it. What that would mean is that no one could stand before God on judgment day and say, all right, God, I rejected your revelation in nature and conscience. But if I'd only heard the gospel, then I would have been saved. And God will say to him, no, I knew that even if you had heard the gospel, you would not have received it. Therefore, my judgment of you on the basis of your response to nature and conscience is neither unloving nor unjust. And so unquote, that's the end of what William Lane Craig said on the issue. And what's, what's Bill referring to here? He's actually referring to Acts chapter 17, because if you go over to Acts chapter 17, this is what Paul seems to say when he's talking to the Athenians on Mars hill. Uh, remember when he goes to the unbelievers, he talks, the resurrection, he doesn't quote the scriptures. They don't believe the scriptures, by the way, that's what we need to start doing. We need to start talking about the resurrection and the evidence for the resurrection. When we're talking to unbelievers, we shouldn't just be quoting Bible verses out them. They don't believe the Bible, show them the evidence for the resurrection. And this is what Paul does on Mars Hill. And as he's, he's talking to them. here is what he says on Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. It's amazing he's saying that. On Mars Hill, and behind him, on Mars Hill, or adjacent to him, depending upon which direction he was standing, uh, was the temple to the god Athenia, the Parthenon up there. Anyway, he says that. Paul Paul is not shy about telling the truth. And he says. And this God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Notice Paul says, that God marked out their appointed times in histories and the boundaries of their lands, that God in his providence, when he created the universe, he knew that people would live and appointed the places where they should live so that they would hear about God. If they were open to it, it could be that those who had never hear the gospel or had never heard the gospel wouldn't have believed it anyway look there's nobody out there who's never heard about god everybody knows there's a god why through creation and conscience you know there must be a creator you must you know there must be a moral creator out there if you take a step toward that revelation god will get you more information to, to be saved the gospel but if you turn away from general revelation the creator the moral creator then god is under no obligation to give you the gospel in fact if he did you wouldn't have believed it anyway More on this right after the break. You're listening to cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this... We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. What about those that have never heard? We're talking about that a little bit today and some other objections we'll get to here in just a minute. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. A couple of things coming up this week. The uh, Intro to Theology course with uh, Michael Patton from Dallas Theological Seminary begins. And if you want to be a part of that, you need to sign up really quickly. Uh, And uh, the premium version of that course allows you to go online and interact with Michael live via Zoom. Zoom is a great technology. I don't know if you've used it before, but it's like Skype. But you can have, you know, 50 people or 100 people on it once. And you can uh, do a video conference. And we do that for the Q&A portion of these courses. It's not just Intro to Theology, but Stealing from God is up there. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, or I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. The course is up there. We have courses from Gary Habermas, from uh, Dan Wallace. Uh, This summer, we're going to bring out a course called Fearless Faith with myself, Jim Wallace, and Mike Adams. And you're going to be able to interact with with us live on Zoom if you take the premium course. If you take the self-paced course... You don't interact with us live, but you can still see all the video and uh, answer all the questions and uh, learn the information at your leisure with, with the self-paced course. And those courses are available at all times. Just go to crossexamined.org and click on online courses. You'll see what's offered up there. Some great stuff up there. But if you want to be a part of the Intro to Theology course, uh, then uh, sign up this week because I think it starts this Monday, if I'm not mistaken. You can sign up a little bit later in the week if, if you need to. That's fine. but. Check it out, uh, crossexamine.org online courses. In fact, Chuck Swindoll, uh, Mike used to work, Mike Patton used to work with Chuck Swindoll and Chuck uh, loves the Intro to Theology course that uh, Michael does. So uh, if that's a, if if that's not a good endorsement, I don't know what is. All right, let's go back to our question here. Uh, we're dealing with a uh, one of the questions that was brought up in an email that was sent to me. Uh, and it turns out that this person is trying to say that if you were born in America, you'd be a Christian. If you're born into Iran, you know, you'd be a Muslim. And that may be true for a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that either one of those worldviews is necessarily true or false. Just like if you were you know, born a thousand years ago, you might think the earth was flat, but that doesn't mean that back then the earth was flat. It just means that you were allowing your culture or the current zeitgeist of the time to inform what you believed about something. If you really want to discover which worldview or which religion is true, you've got to look at evidence. And uh, I think when you look at the evidence, Christianity turns out to be true. And that's what we cover in our book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and stealing from God. Why atheists need God to make their case. Um, Now, let me go on back to the email that the woman originally sent me. And she said um, this, she said, I keep thinking While a country's predominant faith may affect its moral compass, it does not aspire allegiance or discipleship. She said there are atheists all over the place who practice solid Christian morality. And there are even more people all over the world who practice various religions because they mesh with their own ideas about morality. But that doesn't really mean they believe in them. All right, let me stop right there. She's talking about the idea that somehow religion and morality are related, and obviously they are. But of course, Christianity is not all about being good. That's one of the misconceptions that we need to dispense when we start talking about Christianity. God didn't send Jesus to earth to teach us a new moral ethic. Well, he he did tell us to love our enemies, which was new, but that that wasn't his primary mission. His primary mission was to give his life as a ransom because we couldn't meet the moral standards that we know we ought to meet we couldn't live up to the perfect moral uh standard of rightness that is god's nature and so we needed somebody to take our punishment for us we needed somebody to pay the ransom for us cuz we couldn't pay it ourselves why not because we're sinners so god had to come add flesh to his deity or over his deity we might say He had two natures, a human nature and a divine nature did Jesus. The two natures did not intermingle, but when he came to earth as a human being, he lived the perfect life in our place and then unjustly took our punishment on himself. And so by trusting in him as our substitute, then we don't have to be punished for our sins in eternity because God is ultimately just, infinitely just. And in order for him to be infinitely just, he has to punish sin. He can't just turn the other way. Then he'd be unjust. So yes, there is a connection between morality and religion, morality, or let's put it another way, immorality, our immorality is what brought God to earth to save us from ourselves. But God's mission was not to just make us better people. His mission was to make us people who would be alive. Ravi Zacharias puts it this way. He said, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And so I don't want to confuse the idea that Christianity is all about morality with these other worldviews, which really do traffic much more in morality. You know, work your way to God. May your good deeds outweigh your bad. That's what just about every other world religion teaches. Well, first of all, that implies a standard of good. Secondly, it implies that there is a being out there who can define what that standard is by his own nature. Thirdly, it also admits that we fall short. But fourthly, it erroneously thinks that somehow good deeds can, can cancel bad deeds. I don't know why people think that. Why do you think that if you do a good deed, then the crime you just committed no longer is uh, is true or it no longer affects you? No. You could do a thousand good deeds, but if you've lied once, you're still a liar. (laughs) You know, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that you've lied. It doesn't negate the fact that you've stolen something. It doesn't negate the fact that you've treated someone unjustly or unfairly. So this idea that your good deeds outweigh your bad doesn't make any sense. From a, from a justice standpoint, anyway, no criminal is going to stand before a judge and say, you shouldn't punish me for my crime because I help old ladies across the street and I give to the poor. Okay. I'm glad you do that, but you're still guilty of this crime. So to say your good deeds outweigh your bad, just doesn't seem philosophically to make sense to me anyway. And every other world religion or most other world religions, are you trying to work your way to God where Christianity, God works his way to you. There's not a stairway to heaven. There's a stairway from heaven and God takes it. He comes down here He adds humanity over his deity and he dies in our place. And by trusting in him, you can be saved, but let's not confuse Christianity with just another moral system. It's not that, I mean, obviously there are morals associated with Christianity, but that's not its focus. Its focus is to solve our sin problem, to have God come here and save us from our sins. Now let me go back to the email the young lady wrote. She said, "Personally, I don't find myself as a Christian simply because I grew up with Christian morals and values. I made a decision to turn to Christ for salvation as a child, back when the worst thing in my mind that I could do was lie to mom and dad. Then I straight off and dabbled for 22 years in a life of sin and it broke me into a million pieces." She said, "I'm not sure who said it, but there's a quote out there that says, Quote, people don't break God's laws. They are broken by them or they get broken by them, unquote. That's a pretty fair statement. I had a very secular worldview. You might even say that uh, I believed as she did. She referring to the person on Facebook who responded to her comment we talked about earlier. And during this time, I went to college. I encountered Other religions, Hinduism, Muslim, uh, Islam, Buddhism, specifically, I like some of their arguments. At one point, I had trouble understanding why a perfect being would create imperfect beings and then punish them for being imperfect. And I was besieged by all kinds of atheist arguments. Okay, time out. Let's step out of this for a second. There's another moral objection. Notice this. She said that I had trouble understanding why a perfect being would create imperfect beings and then punish them for being imperfect. Notice this is a moral objection what standard are you using to judge God as immoral? In other words, it's, it's a moral objection to say that, well, if there's a good God out there, why would he create us imperfect and then demand us to be perfect? I mean, this is what Christopher Hitchens said in one of our debates. You can't, you can't make us sick and demand us to be well. Well, that's a moral objection. Notice now when you're, When you're making a moral objection, if you're saying that's really wrong of God, you're actually appealing to a moral standard that can only exist if God exists. So you have to steal from God in order to argue against him. This is the subject of my book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. When you're bringing up moral objections, especially if you're an atheist, when you're bringing up moral objections, you're presupposing an objective moral standard. That objective moral standard does not exist unless God does exist. Now, you're saying, how do you know it's the Christian God? Well, you don't necessarily know it's the Christian God. You have to do some research to see if Jesus really is God. And if he is, then the standard of rightness turns out to be the Christian God. But you can't say that there's something really right out there if there is no God, if there is no essence out there known as goodness. And that's what we mean by God's nature. His essence is goodness, righteousness, justice. If we're just molecules in motion, if we're just moist robots, there is no standard of goodness or rightness out there. So how can you say it's wrong to create an imperfect being and demand that imperfect being be well? Actually, although God says, Jesus does say, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect in the Sermon on the Mount, or as your heavenly father is perfect, he realizes we can't do that. That's the very reason he's here on earth. So yes, God demands us to be well, even though he did create us innocent and then we fell through Adam and people say, well, it's unfair to judge us on Adam's sin. Again, you're evoking a moral standard. But secondly, let's leave Adam's sin aside. You've already sinned regardless of what Adam did. So even if, even if you want to jettison what Adam did, you, you still deserve punishment for the sin that you've committed. So. God, in his graciousness, because he loves us, he's not just just because he loves us. He pays the price for us. So that's that's not that's not unfair. That's more than fair. I mean, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting forgiveness. Forgiveness. So God takes care of the problem. Yeah, we are imperfect, but he's the perfect one. And when we put our trust in him, then any of our imperfections or all of our imperfections and all of our sins are taken care of by him. So always see if there is a standard being evoked by the person bringing up the objection. If they are, you ought to question that. You ought to say, well, what do you mean by evil? Or what do you mean by imperfect? You're implying there's perfection out there. Well, what is the source of perfection? See, you you wind up, the objection boomerangs back to give evidence for God. Even if you talk about evil, evil can only exist if good exists, and good can only exist if God exists. Why? Because evil is a lack in a good thing. Evil is like cancer. If you take cancer out of a body, you got a better body. If you take all the body out of the cancer, you got nothing. Evil doesn't exist on its own. It only exists in a good thing. And God is what we mean by the good thing, by definition. Whoever God is, he is good. That's the point. All right. Back in just two minutes, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek. I'll be in California next weekend. I'll tell you about it here in just a minute. Don't go away.
0: If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily.
1: I mentioned that uh, before the break, I'm going to be in California this uh, January 9th. January. Man, I might be today. Let's go with June. What do, you, <laughs> what do you say? June. June 9th and 10th. I'm kind of jet lagged. I went out to Denver uh, and uh, I was teaching out at Summit and I happened to. Uh, there's a friend of mine out there. I hardly ever get to play golf. I'm a terrible golfer. I play like three or four times a year. But my friend out there, Dix Winston, who has a church out there in uh, Denver. He, uh, we, there's a course that he's a part of, and so we went out there and uh, to play last Tuesday and uh, this past Tuesday, and we're on the driving range. And I go, "Hey, Dix, is Gary Kubiak a? Uh, is he a member here? Because he's 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 hitting right next to me. <laughs> you know, he's the he's the coach, a former coach of the Denver Broncos. Before that, he was the coach of." the Houston Texans, and then before that, as you know, he was the backup for John Elway in Denver. Well, Kubiak just won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago against our Panthers here from Charlotte when he was the coach of the Broncos. Anyway, we get to talking, and so he joins us for nine holes while we're out there in Denver. Nice guy, Uh, Gary Kubiak, one of the good guys out there, and uh, it was just fun uh, spending uh, nine holes with him uh he's a much better golfer than me i can tell you that to show you how good i am i had to have my ball retriever re that's how often <laughs> that's that's the club i use the most in other words uh in any event uh uh i'm a little jet lagged because we went i kind of took almost like a red eye back or a really early flight back so i'm kind of tired that's why i can't put two declarative sentences together ladies and gentlemen and i was telling you about california and uh i'm gonna be out there. This next Saturday, not January, June 9th and 10th. June 9th, we're doing 9 to 3 p.m. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist or calling it I Have My Doubts community event at Abundant Life Church in Cupertino, California. You guys know where Cupertino is? It's uh, near San Jose. It's uh, the the Silicon Valley. I used to live out there because when I was in the Navy, I was stationed at Moffitt Field, which is right at the base, uh, right near Cupertino, Sunnyvale Mountain View. Uh, so we'll be out there uh, Saturday, June 9th uh, from nine to three. There'll be a lunch break in the middle. We'll have Q and a uh, we'll go through. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist Do Q and a then Sunday morning, June 10th, 10 a.m. to 1130. Well, the service starts at 10 a.m. I'll be speaking at that service uh, on uh, and it's abundant life uh, assemblies of God church in Cupertino, California, uh, right there on What is it? Stelling Road, maybe? Anyway, you guys can go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on events. You'll see Frank Turek calendar. I hope to see you if you're out there in California this next weekend. All right, let me go back to now. uh, Oh, and by the way, I got to tell you guys about CIA. You need to sign up for CIA really soon because we're running up against the application deadline here this month. If you want to be a part of CIA, the Cross-Examine Instructors Academy in Dallas, Texas in August, you need to sign up or at least apply soon. We don't take everyone. That's if you want to be a better apologist, be better able to present, better able to answer questions. Uh, you'll be there with me, Jay Warner Wallace, Greg Kokel, uh Bobby Conway, Sean McDowell, Brent Kunkel, uh, Jorge Gill, Natasha Crane. we all going to we're going to be your instructors there to help you be better apologists. Uh, I think it's the 16th to the 18th of August. Go to crossexamine.org, uh, click on events. You'll see how to apply there. All right, let me go back to our topic of the day. I have this fantastic email from a nice lady who was asking me questions, but also making some good points herself. And uh, before with the break, we were talking about uh, this woman being besieged by atheist arguments. And she tried all sorts of different religions And then she said this, I was swayed, but in all those encounters, I never chose to convert to those religions. If the lack of exposure and support for your choice matters, uh, I should have ultimately decided to be a pagan. She said, I had around 10 years exposure to Christianity before all, all of this. And then 22 years of exposure to these other views. And it wasn't fear that brought me back to Christianity. Because although hell is a scary topic and surely does drive many a person to behave, it doesn't exactly inspire faithfulness or repentance. And it might, uh, and it might make someone get their butt to church, but it won't make them want to know their savior. So that wasn't what drew me to Christ. For me, it was finding myself in the same place that the prodigal son had. It was, When in my secular lifestyle where I thought I was living, uh, living it up and conviction went from roar to whisper. She said it was when in my secular lifestyle, my friends turned on me. They had been like my family. I was abandoned. I was abused emotionally, verbally and physically a lover. I basically worshipped tore me to pieces. And in all of this, I didn't think about those other religions I had countered. I didn't think about the atheist arguments although I tried to heal myself through cognitive therapy and medications, you know, believe you are worthy, believe that you are no better or no worse than anyone and do yoga, keep stress down, eat right, exercise, sleep, and everything will be better, et cetera, et cetera. But that only helped me cope. It did nothing to restore me. By the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to cross examine with Frank Turek on the American family radio network. I'm reading an email I got from a Christian listener who had, had been experimenting with other religions and had other questions. So she's telling us about her return to Christ. She said, but that only helped me cope. It did cope. It did nothing to restore me. It wasn't until I heard a Christian song and a very long drive to pick up a patient. And I started to remember those early days of my relationship with Christ, where I felt loved, accepted and forgiven. I felt safe. I missed that relationship. And I realized that not even God tears us down in our weakness. And I prayed for him to lead me back and to put me on the right path. I chose my faith for myself because of his overwhelming love and grace. Just knowing that I didn't have to perform for God to be loved was a relief. Let me say that again, friends just knowing that I didn't have to perform for God to be loved was a relief knowing he knows I can't be perfect. Frees me to focus on who he is and not what I've done. I don't have to have my bad deeds or my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds or give a gazillion lives to reach heaven. He doesn't expect me to deny my emotions or accept that suffering is meaningless. He sees exactly who I am and wants me anyway. God sent Christ to die for me just to give me a way to himself. Who does that? And I wrote back, that's the beauty of grace. We can't get an infinite God to love us more because he loves us infinitely already. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that? Do you realize that since God is an infinite being, he loves you infinitely already and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or nothing you can do to make him love you less. Now, that doesn't mean he's not pleased or that doesn't mean that that he's pleased with sin. He's not, but he still loves you infinitely. And you may experience the consequences of your sin. If you don't cover yourself with his forgiveness, with the sacrifice he's made for you. So since God is infinitely loving and infinitely just, and we're not loving in many ways, and we're not certainly just in almost every way, God has to punish a substitute in our place. But you're not going to put him in your debt by doing good deeds. You can't. God is infinite. He owes nobody anything. God is God. And we simply accept what he's done for us. That's liberating when you think about it. Now, by the way, this is no, this is no license to sin. Paul deals with that in Romans chapter six, when he says, well, if grace saves you, should we just go on sinning? So grace abounds all the more. And Paul says, may it never be. You're dead to sin. You're alive to Christ. You do good deeds out of gratitude for what he's done for you. And that helps bring more people to Christ when they see your good deeds. This is what James talks about. You know, if you have faith, but no works, your faith is dead. Why? Because you're, you probably don't have true faith. If you're not doing good works, God has prepared us to do good works, but the good works don't save us. The good works are evidence that we're saved. The fruit comes from the tree. The tree doesn't come from the fruit. So this young woman wrote, and I'm not even done with the email here. I I don't have time to get through it all. Maybe we'll pick it up next week. Uh, But she makes some amazing points and asks some other questions that we'll maybe get to in a future program. But the main point here is, is that uh, there are answers, obviously, to your questions. And the only worldview, the only world religion that relies on god's work not your own for salvation is christianity god does all the work you just trust in what he's done and if you don't want to trust in what he's done you don't have to god won't force you into heaven against your will if you don't want god now you're not gonna want him in eternity so christianity is a free gift Christ provides that free gift. And by the way, if you think Christianity is only exclusive, you haven't looked at other world religions. Islam is just as exclusive. If you're not a Muslim, you're going to be in hellfire, according to Surah 5. Uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, worldviews that believe in karma, particularly Hinduism, well, you're, you're still working your way there. You don't have a choice. Uh, atheism doesn't even give you a choice. You just die and become worm food if atheism is true. At least in Christianity, you have a choice, right? You can either be with God or without God in the afterlife. That's up to you. But every worldview is exclusive. Every worldview says anything opposed to this worldview is false. So Muslims think Christians are wrong. Hindus and Buddhists think Christians are wrong and Muslims are wrong. Christians think Muslims are wrong. And the question is, are any of them right? And I think if you look at the evidence, Christianity is right. God loves us so much. He does all the work for us. Amen to that. All right, friends, I'll see you next week. In the meantime, if you're out in California near Cupertino, the Bay Area, I'll be out there June 9th and 10th. That's this Saturday and Sunday. Check our website for details, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see my calendar there, and I'll see you here next week. God bless.
0: We work hard to create great content and delivered truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners if you agree take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us just look for the cross-examined official podcast three words on itunes google play or stitcher we are truly grateful for your support